Canadian Wants to Know. Ein Podcast für Englischlernende in Deutschland, der kraftvolle Geschichten und anregende Fragen nutzt, damit ihr auf unterhaltsame Weise eure Sprachkenntnisse verbessern, vertiefen und festigen könnt. Hier ist euer Host, the Canadian George Robledo. Hello Gabby and welcome to my podcast. Hey Jorge, thank you for having me. So, to begin, we're just going to start with some basic information. Tell us where you're from, where you currently live, and what it is that you do for a living. Well, I'm an American. I'm from Washington, D.C. on the East Coast. And I live in South Southwest? Yeah, Southwestern Germany in Frankfurt, Germany. So I've been here for about three years. And I'm a language service provider. So right now I'm teaching in four different languages. I do translation in those languages for adults and children. So it's been fun. Ooh, four different languages. What languages are those? So we have English, German, my husband's language, Tigrinya, which is from East Africa, and another East African language, Amharic, which is the national language of Ethiopia. Really, really cool. Like, I'm very fascinated by languages, and I'm always looking for, oh, what's the next one I want to learn? And I want to make sure that my next one is completely random. So, for example, like, I can speak four languages today, but they're very, like, standard languages that a lot of people can speak. But I want to make my next one, like, where when, when I tell people that I speak that language, I want them to say, why? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm going to come to you for those two languages that I've never even heard of before. Well, if you do that, Jorge, I would just suggest when you pick a random language, because it's so difficult to find resources for that language, you have to have a really good why if you want to stick. That is true. I would have to look for a why. What I have found in Germany, because I was thinking, what would be another language that is useful in Germany that would allow me to speak with people here that like it's a widely used language? And I came up with either Turkish or Russian. So those would be my first two on the list because there's a lot of Turkish people here in Germany and a lot of Russians. So I'm like, ah, maybe those ones. But yeah. maybe, I don't know how big is the community of, of speakers in Germany of those languages that you teach. Well, with the Tigrinya and Amhara speaking, they call themselves Habasha. That's the name they give the community. I think it's one of the smaller communities in Germany, but in Frankfurt, it's huge. It's one of the main hubs. I get a lot of chances to talk. I do volunteer work with my husband, who is a native speaker of Tigrinya. He's from Eritrea, which is above Ethiopia, right above it in the Horn of Africa. So I'm probably speaking the language at least three or four days out of the week. We speak like a mixture of languages at home. It's funny. Wow. <laughs> But in general, do you have like a dominant language that you speak uh, between you and your husband? Most of the time we're speaking in English, which is funny because he only started speaking English when we met. So when we were dating, we were talking in his language mostly because I didn't speak any German at that time. But if I'm really tired or really upset, then I have to pause because then I start thinking in Spanish. So that gets complicated. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, we don't have such a complicated arrangement. We've decided English is the language we use. 99.9% .9 of the time. 
Okay, yeah, that does make things easier. It makes right? it much easier. I I would have to ask you in a different uh, podcast episode how it is that you guys manage communication when you have such a mixture of languages. But today's episode is about teaching English to children, which I'm very, very passionate about. So I'm so excited that you are here and that I can ask you questions and get some tips from you because I know this topic is very relevant to a lot of my listeners and in particular my students who have young children. And they would like to perhaps incorporate more English into their, uh, their household, but they don't know how. So we'll start with like the first question, which is what motivated you to want to work with children? Because there are differences between working with children and adults. What motivated you to focus on children? Well, I, to be honest with you, I fell into it by accident. <laughs> so as most people are probably aware, there's a lot of companies that teach children English in Asia, but their approach is very babyfied. It's almost like Barney for kids. And as much as they pay you, as lucrative as it is, I could not get into it. I was like, I cannot sit here and teach somebody colors. I can't do it. What I ended up doing is I was working with an, another student and then my supervisor said, hey, we actually have another teacher who had to move away suddenly for some reason. Would you like to take some of their students? There, there are some kids. I don't know if you're okay with it. So I said, okay, we'll give it a try. The first lesson I had was with a three-year-old. And of course, three-year-olds don't have that much attention span. But when the mother told me what the teacher had been doing with the student, I was shocked and upset. They had been spending 45 minutes with just flashcards. Like, what is this? It's a baby. What is this? It's just like that for 45 minutes. So the kid knew a whole bunch of words, but didn't feel comfortable talking at all. And Oh boy, there has got to be a, a better way to do this. So I've experimented a little bit with, with it. I also have siblings that are one generation younger than me so have a few teaching techniques just from practical experience but it's a lot of teachers are still doing that flashcard method and for the generation alpha that was born after 2013 or gen z's that are from 1997 to 2012 that doesn't work for them they've grown up with apps they've grown up with phones the internet like what is this piece of paper you're showing me right now <laughs> Yeah, no, that's definitely good to know because I'm I'm more old school, right? I I, I haven't uh, really developed so many uh, techniques, and I honestly I never interact with children in my day to day life, so I wouldn't really know how to work with them nowadays. Even though I did it years ago, six seven years ago, I worked with kids. I don't know if you've ever heard of Helen Doran. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So I worked with them and, and I, I found that they have a really great program, but flashcards are part of it as well. It was a lot of coloring and songs and uh, games and things like that. But we did the flashcards and what you have found is they don't, they're not so effective with young kids. Yeah. They've, they like those total physical response activities of drawing and singing and everything, but flashcards in the paper form, they really don't like those. It has to be in some type of app form or something where they can click on it or something of, of that nature. Because if, if it's paper, I don't know, they've grown up so much with screens. Paper is almost like a 
a foreign concept sometimes where it takes a while to them for them to even get used to, okay, I draw on this or, or I need to circle that. Many kids now, they have really horrible handwriting too, because they're, they're used to typing something. So it just has to adapt to the new generation. No, for sure. I can understand that. Uh, one of my friends, one day he was working on his computer and his three-year-old boy, he came to see what his dad was doing. And then he started pressing his finger on the screen, thinking that it was a touchpad, right? Just like the, <laughs> the iPad or the phone. And he was upset because it was not working. He couldn't oh, no. make the computer screen uh, move. <laughs> so they, they've grown up with it. They, they know how to manipulate these tools. Uh, they're born with it. So I can definitely see how um, that would make it more difficult for them to just say, okay, what about this paper and, and these, what is that? Right? No, I, I can get that. What, what are the ages of the, the, uh, the range of ages that you work with? Well, right now my oldest student is 18 and the youngest is four. So I've worked with all three different groups. And I can imagine there's differences in how you have to teach. What, what do you think are the biggest differences with the different ages? I think probably the biggest difference with the young ones, of course, their attention span isn't that long. So, um, of course, the class has to be shorter. Maybe a, a teenager can have an hour, 90 minutes, no problem. But a kid, the best would probably be 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe. But in that 45 minutes, you need to switch up activities very often, maybe three or four different activities. Otherwise, they'll get bored. So shorter time periods and a more, more activities, just constantly changing the activities that you work on. What has worked when you focus, when we're talking primarily about the youngest group of children? What do you, what do you find works with them? Well, the youngest ones, unfortunately with kids, most adults don't take them seriously. So just letting them talk about how their day was or having them explain something to you that happened to them. They just appreciate the, the chance to be able to talk. Uh, for example, going back to this little girl that I mentioned before that had been stuck with the flashcards teacher before. The first class, a new adult, adults are really big compared to children. It's kind of like a, if a normal person stood next to a, an NBA star, they're way bigger than you. And you're kind of like, who is this? Person. So the first class, it took her a while to get used to me. But by the end of the class, she was saying simple sentences like, I need this. Thank you. Goodbye. But then the next class, I could not get her to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> so it, for little kids, the main thing is they're, they're in their bubble with their family. So when they meet another stranger, it takes them a while to get used to you. That's the main obstacle. But you have found that just kind of entering into conversation with them, that over time you can get them to speak more. Yeah, be, be very demonstrative. Use your body language to show what you're talking about. Make sure when you're talking to them that you're sitting so you're almost at eye level with them so it's not so intimidating. There's a lot of small things that you can do just to make them feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, when I was working at the Helen Doran at the school, I actually enjoyed working with the youngest ones more than 9, 10, 11. I don't know what, what has been your experience. Do you prefer one age group or are you able to manage all the different ages? 
quite well. I can manage them, but those little ones are the easiest because they have no inhibitions whatsoever. They're like, oh, that was wrong. Let me try it again. <laughs> but with that maybe preteen set, they're feeling a little bit more puberty, uncomfortable. Oh, no, they're judging me. So it takes a while for them to, to get comfortable. And then if they make a mistake, then it takes them a while to recover from that. So that's something to keep in mind, too. Yeah. And that's something that I, I struggle with. Because I work with adults entirely, only with adults nowadays. And that's the biggest challenge is helping them understand that mistakes are part of the process, that it's okay, that I'm not going to judge them, that I'm not going to like fail them if they make a mistake. It's okay. And I always have to remind them that, hey, just think about how children are when they're learning. They fall down, they get up, they fall down, they get up. It's, it's all part of it. and. At some point, we lose that. And I find that to be quite sad that we lose the ability to try new things because we're afraid of what other people are going to say or what they're going to think about us. Yeah, exactly. And in certain cultures, that inhibition of, oh, no, is a little bit more than others. I've, I've noticed that um, in certain, not all, but certain Asian and Germanic cultures, language learning mistakes are they make you feel shame, even though it's for us as Americans, Canadians, Latinos, it's not that big of a deal. But a Germanic person or an Asian person, they've they completely shut down and you're like, it's OK. Just tell me what it is that you wanted to say. Let it out and then we'll figure out how to fix it together. But once that first mistake comes out, then it's hard for them to open back up again. So that takes time to undo that mindset. Have you been successful in, in kind of helping your students see mistakes as, as okay, as fine, as acceptable? Or do you also face that same challenge that I face with my own students? It depends on the person. It's almost like in today's day and age, as a teacher, you also have to be a little bit of a psychologist. <laughs> so you're not going to get into the student's personal business, of course, but you have to let them know at the beginning, I'm, I'm not a teacher like at school. I'm not going to give you a grade or be judging you based on how we're talking right now. I'm more of a coach. So if something is missing, then we'll work on it together. So just to set the proper expectations at the beginning helps them to feel a little bit more comfortable. Sometimes you see their shoulders visibly drop like, oh, yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's not like a teacher-student, but more like a coach and, I don't know, a player, <laughs> coach and player <laughs> relationship. I'm here to help you improve. I'm not here to look down on you or to like give you a zero or a five, right? What it is for Germans if, if they don't do it correctly. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the issue is a lot of times they just see me as a teacher, right? And that reminds them of their own teachers from high school. Like, yeah, oh, I can't and, make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And even the the German teaching system, they're very good teachers, but they are much harsher with their feedback. So they're expecting that type of feedback. <laughs> yeah. So when no, you let them sure. know, yeah, that mm -hmm. this is not going to be the case, you will get actual feedback from me, but we'll try to frame it in a way that is this is something we can work on rather than no, this is totally wrong. What's wrong with you? Yeah, so you have to. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
What I find it's a little bit either interesting or sad is the fact that as we get older, there are many things that we learn about life, about ourselves, about others. And there are some things that we unlearn. There are things we knew when we were very young, but that was, as we get older, we start to lose that. And it's like, man, that sucks. That sucks that we're losing a lot of good things that we had when we were very young. Like I'm sure with your kids, like you, you see them. Okay. You showed them an apple and they said a pear. It's okay. And then they just try it a second time. It's, it's not something they, they think about too much. Oh, what a terrible thing I did. They don't think about it. They just continue and they try again. So I hope that maybe the listeners can kind of get that from, from the episode is that it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. We have to learn the same way that children learn. And that's just by trial and error. Yeah, trial and error and, and stay curious. If something doesn't make sense, don't be afraid to ask. There's no such thing as a dumb question. I agree. Curiosity keeps you young. Mm-hmm. I, I work with a student. She's 69 years old, but I call her my youngest student because <laughs> she is so curious. She's like, oh, George, I read this. What do you think about that? Oh, I didn't know. George, did you know about this? And I'm like, no, that's very interesting. And then we'll go on, on these explorations. And I'm like, wow, I hope that you stay young forever. And again, you definitely are young because she has such a curiosity for people and knowledge. And I think that's what keeps us young, not our body. Well, of course, our bodies will age. But if you can keep your mind young and healthy, you can... You can stay young until the day you die. Mm-hmm. What are some challenges that you have faced with regards to teaching children in particular? Hmm, that's a good question. It depends on if it's in a group or as an individual, but for the young children, the main thing would probably be the attention span. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have to plan very well for the lesson. If if you're trying something new that day, you have to have a plan B and a plan C just in case, because depending on that kid's personality, every kid is different. They might not like the activity that you had planned. So I, I do remember when I was at Helen Doran, I would have to, I would go into the room and just pick out, okay, so today we're going to do about four or five, six activities, whatever. But I would always have to bring an extra games and, and, and material just in case what I prepared was not enough to get me through the lesson. So I, I know that like with kids, you don't know. Some days they're in a good mood, other days they're not. And you just have to be prepared with plan B, C, D, exactly what you said. Yeah, that's true. And mm. then when it's in a group, that depends on the age group with little kids. Sometimes, again, because they're in that home bubble, they're used to being the center of attention. They don't play well with other kids yet. So that can be an issue. Or with the preteens, maybe there's one or two that are really confident and then others that are really shy. So you have to make sure that you balance the engagement a little bit more. Same thing that can happen with teenagers or sometimes, thankfully I haven't had this happen yet, but I've heard from other teachers. Sometimes you have a really rebellious teenager student that is like, "Uh, yeah, whatever, man, because their parents are paying for it, but they're not really that into it. I can tell you from my experience, those children were very, very difficult for me to to handle. Over time, I was just kind of like, okay, forget it. If they don't want to learn, then 
I'm not going to waste my time. But (laughs) there has to be a better strategy than the one that I took. How do you engage those children who don't want to be there? Well, sometimes it's because they had a bad experience with a language class when they were younger. That's why it's so important to have a good experience throughout. Some of them, they've had that flashcard class when they were five and now they're 15 and they're like, I can't believe I'm still doing this. <laughs> yeah. So again, at the beginning, set those proper expectations, not to disrespect the other teacher that they had, but say, this is how we're going to do things. It's going to be a more participation from you guys. I'm not going to talk that much. I'm just here to facilitate, to lead you guys. But this is your class. So if you have a question let me know. Or if you're like, this is boring, then we'll switch gears. I'm, this is, class is not about me. It's about you guys. So just be willing to put them in the driver's seat, so to speak, because they're so used to being told what to do and not having any options. I like that, putting them in the driver's seat. Because yeah, a lot of times I wanted to be the one to manage the class. And when I lost control, I would lose my patience. And I just, I'm like, okay, I can't do this. But I like your technique, which is, okay, give them, maybe take them seriously to begin with. And then just tell them, hey, you know what? I'm here to facilitate, but you guys are the ones who are going to dictate how the class develops and where it goes from here. Give them more like autonomy, perhaps is a good word. Yeah. like For their own learning. mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. can't be total chaos. But what I usually do is I say, okay, these are the concepts we're going to work on today. And these are the things I want to do today, but you can pick the order. So first we have A or B and like, which one do you guys want to do? And then they pick one. We go forward like that so they can manage their energy level or what seems interesting to them. So it's not complete chaos. I like that. (laughs) Right. So you give them options. Mm -hmm. And then when they decide, then they have the feeling, hey, you know what? I was a part of the process. This is what I chose. So I'm going to participate now. Yeah. Once they have their say, then they're like, okay, let's do this. Really good technique. I wish you would have uh, been my mentor (laughs) when I was working. I couldn't do it. I did it one year and I told myself I would never do it again, but never say never. Yeah. And that's, that's something that happens a lot with teachers who are working with kids teaching languages. I don't know what your experience was, Jorge, but a lot of them get thrown in. They're like, you have a Tesla? Good. Go in there and get them. And you're like, I don't know how to deal with kids. That's a whole nother teaching skill set. And most people go into a job without any training on how to deal with that group of people. They're just like, okay, I know how to teach English, but these are little people with different needs. You need a different set of training for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I didn't have the training. So (laughs) that's why I think I was not uh, as successful as I could have been. In retrospect, I know there's lots of things that I did uh, wrong and that I could have done better. But who knows? Maybe I'll try it again in the future. Yeah, it's a really big growing uh, market. There's a lot of parents around the world. They know English is a global language. 25% of people on earth speak English. So as a lingua franca, they want their kids to know it as soon as possible. What would be your advice to parents? Right? Like how could you maybe motivate them and, or encourage them to incorporate more English into their child's life? Well, the first thing to do, especially with little kids, is 
don't make it seem like they're learning something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's got to be fun. Pretend yeah. that it's just a game. It's, we're not here to learn. It's just we're just playing. Exactly. Yeah, it could be a game. And sometimes maybe you're learning English too. You could be learning it together, just kind of watching a movie or what does that word mean? Or what's that thing when you're out looking at, at nature or something? I know I keep using this girl a lot, but she is like the, the prime example of parents who are engaged and on it. So this little girl again, who is now four, uh, she's learning English and German, and her parents are both native French speakers. Wow. So what they do, they speak French at home and sometimes English when they're with friends. And she's also in kindergarten where they speak German most of the time, but they buy her a lot of games and books in German. So it's it's something that surrounds her all the time. And sometimes she hasn't had class with me for a week or two because of vacation or something. She's learned some new words on her own. So that's a, a great way to have kids learn things almost instinctively. It doesn't have to be, look at this flashcard. Look at this. Let's read this textbook together. Just let them be and do their thing and give them options in target language. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like create an environment where it's possible to engage with the language. But I do agree. Like if you just like, okay, from this time to this time, we're going to learn our English flashcards. That's not really going to work. But if you just create an environment where either there's English music playing in the background or from time to time you guys put on an English movie or there's English books just lying around, the kid might pick it up and say, hey, what is that? And you'll explain it to them. So I think it's just creating the conditions for it, for, for language learning, without trying to like force it down them. Yeah, exactly. And Germany is a little bit harder because most of the, um, I guess, shows and even some games have been translated into German. And it's harder to find English books here, but it's still possible. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you recommend, do you still recommend like physical books or do you think like digital versions of, I don't know, are there digital versions of like children's books? There are digital versions. I think, I know I mentioned that the kids don't really like flashcards, but I think for their developing brain, at least sometimes to have a physical book, at least to get their eyes off of the screen one, but also to practice their motor skills. There's a lot of kids, especially now with the pandemic, that they've had so much screen time alone that they haven't learned many social skills or motor skills. So it's important to have um, those total physical response things, maybe dancing together or doing some sort of game, reading a book. So they have some practice with social skills. Yeah, I know that. I, I, I agree. Sometimes I wonder if it's too much screen time. For kids nowadays and I'm actually very thankful I didn't grow up in this generation like, <laughs> I feel like they've turned into zombies in many ways I'm yeah like, oh. are you a, a millennial or a gen x Jorge I'm definitely a millennial okay um, yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> no like I I had the backyard I had a hockey stick <laughs> or we had a soccer ball or we had a basketball we were outside and when we weren't outside, then yeah, we watched TV, but we had three channels. So it was very <laughs> limited on what we could watch. So we were outside and like, I'm, I'm happy I had that childhood. 
now I see my nephew, I'm like, ooh, that's too much screen time. <laughs> too much. Yeah. You have to limit them too. Maybe if, it depends on the parent and everything. But one thing that also helps with language learning is the Montessori method, where there's a lot of things where the children are viewed as little grown-ups. So you're teaching them by doing. They follow you doing things. You give them little tasks they can do on their own. Yeah, that's very interesting. I don't know enough about Montessori. I, I, I know I have some students who had their children in that system and they really, they really like it. But it, you, you think that it's a, an, an effective way of teaching languages using their methods? Yeah, I've been experimenting with that for the past six or seven months now. And it really helps. Just um, like that option where you you give them choices. We can do this or we can do this. Or maybe you have a group class and one of the students is way more advanced than the other ones. Then you ask them to help the other the student that is struggling a little bit. And that makes them both feel good. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So getting them involved in, in the, the process of learning and also ha having them also help other students who are not as, as strong in their language skills. Yeah, no, I think you've given us some really great tips today. Yeah, I'm glad I could help. I hope this helps someone who's trying to start on their rebellion of trying to teach kids another way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and maybe this uh, very German, I'll say that for lack of a better word, of just like sit down and you do this. It's, we have a structure. It's 30 minutes where you have to do it like this. Maybe there's other ways, especially when it comes to kids. So thank you so much for your advice, your tips, your, your stories. Where can we find you online? If we want to connect with you, if we want to learn more about your services and, and um, your teaching, where can we find you? Well, uh, first, Jorge, I would add, uh, like you said, it, it is a very German way, but one of the pioneers of early childhood education was Froebel, who was actually German. So it's not so much that it's the Germanic way of doing things or the Scandinavian or anything. It's, it's just that we've gotten used to this method from the 20th century and the 19th century when they started standardizing education. But now 21st century kids are like, get that out of my face. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not working anymore. Yeah, they're not going to put up with that. Ed education in general is in trouble. So we have a lot of things to do to retrofit the way we teach our kids to fit what future of jobs is going to look like, their learning style. We have a long way to go. Exactly, exactly. So parents can begin that process, that revolution in their own homes, because maybe the education system it will take some time to catch up. Exactly. So where can we find you if we want to connect with you, if we want to reach out to you? Well, you have a lot of different options. I am on LinkedIn. You can find me under Gabby Van Horn. And we also have our own podcast where we interview bilingual professionals from all over the world. And that is called the Clever Hybrids Bilingual Podcast. So we're actually number three now on the top 25 bilingual podcast from Speedspot for the whole world. So I'm really excited about that. We're about to have our season five starting next week. So that would be, if you're listening to this later, May 2022. <laughs> uh, for those who are looking for 
translation or lessons for with their children or themselves. Again, in those four languages, English, German, Tigrinya, or Amharic, you can find me on cleverhybris.com or on our other page that has a, a bit more testimonials and some background information about me. That is Entendido Inglés. Perfect. So I will leave all of that in the show notes uh, so that whoever wants to, they can reach out to you. And uh, yeah, like, thank you so much. It yeah, was nice. Yeah. It was nice talking to you. And I hope we can do it again in the future, maybe with another topic around bilingual marriages. Maybe that. Oh, that sounds interesting. I look forward to it. <laughs> was a really fun interview to record. The topic of bilingualism is something I'm very passionate about. I grew up with two languages at home and I consider it one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me. I see the world from different perspectives and I try to understand people who are different to me. And that foundation was built because of the multiple languages I grew up with. Thank you, mom and dad, for that. Today's audio message comes from Elke. Hi George, I'm Elke and I like listening to your podcast very much. Different guests makes it really interesting for me to listen. For me, as a non-native speaker, it is a really good practice. Thank you. I really appreciate your kind words, Elke. I hope you continue to find value in these episodes and that you share it with your friends. This podcast is completely free, so in order for me to stay motivated, it would really help me if you shared it with others. Thank you all in advance. If you want to support the podcast, consider leaving a tip. If you're looking to improve your business English, check out my website for one-on-one -on -one lessons. You can click on the link in the show notes for more information. That's it for this episode. Also, bis nächstes Mal.